Good morning. Thank you all for joining us. And those of you online, we're really glad you're joining us today. For um, those of you that didn't quite catch what Pastor said when he was talking about our welcome class next week, it falls on Sunday, November 1st. So I don't know about you, but I was quite surprised to look at the calendar and realize that November is already next week. And uh, that comes as a little bit of a shock. This year has gone by. Um, and while many of you might think of November and tie it just to Thanksgiving, I actually tend to look a little bit broader at the month. And for maybe the last decade, maybe a little longer, I have made it an attempt every November to post throughout the month, including beyond Thanksgiving, on Facebook, something for which I am grateful. And I have found this is a very good mind-setting uh, exercise because it makes us look at what we're grateful for, especially in a positive, uh, in a positive light when normally, especially this time of year, especially in election years, it tends to get a little not fun. But as I was reflecting on this practice in preparation for next week, I realized how often it's not very easy to find something positive to do, to talk about. I tend to t get distracted by disruptions in my day or plans that haven't gone quite as I expected. Uh, I might have somebody really getting under my skin that has taken my focus off of the things of God. And as a result, I, as a Christian, struggle to find one thing to be thankful for. And that's sad. And maybe, maybe you can understand this and struggle with it too. Maybe it's not necessarily thinking about something to be grateful for, but actually demonstrating gratitude. Maybe somebody has given you something that you felt you deserved, and so you don't bother to say thank you. Or maybe you've gotten a gift, sometimes even a big gift, and you forgot to say thank you. And by the time you remember, by the time you remember, it's a little too late to say thank you. Some people struggle with saying thank you for the little things those things that we might take for granted. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that something that I struggle with, and maybe some of you can relate, is getting to the end of the day, Ian and I will say our prayers together, and how many times I just simply say, because I'm drowning in life, thank you, God, that this day is done. And that is all I can think of. And I'm dead serious in the moment, because I am so overwhelmed and it saddens me because as Christians, we have an abundance of things to be grateful for. So God, being the creator, the savior, has given us so much, he actually has an expectation for our response in gratitude. And that's what we're going to look at today in Luke. So as we do that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50. But I want to give you a little quick background as we head into this. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible today. You can use whatever translation works for you. Um, Luke writes from a perspective that is not common to the Jews. He writes to the people who didn't grow up in that culture, who want to understand that Jesus and his saving work is for them as well. He is writing to the women, to the marginalized, the sick, the poor, and saying, Jesus is Lord of you. He's not just Lord of the religious elite. So Luke tries to convey 
what happened with Jesus in, in ways that these people understand. And actually, he highlights the stories of interactions with those kinds of people as well. And as we're going to see in today's story, Luke also likes to poke at Pharisees. So he wants to showcase what it means to live in the Christian life in a way that gets a little beyond what the Pharisees do, because the Pharisees aren't living that way. So join me in reading Luke 36, or 7, 36 through 50. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. So Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. Imagine the tears that had to be enough to wash his feet. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. I want to pause here for a minute just to explain a couple things. First, this was not a casual invitation to dinner by a Pharisee. Jesus had been all over the region, healing, performing miracles. He had recently come down from the Sermon on the Mount where the Beatitudes were taught. And in other Gospels, not Luke, it actually refers to this as the incident where 5,000 were fed. So he's having quite a following. He's teaching with authority. People are understanding the lessons he's trying to convey. And they're wondering what on earth this is because he's turning their scriptures on end. So the Pharisees are watching Jesus and his popularity and thinking, oh, I need a piece of this. And so the Pharisee in question today probably invited Jesus because it looked good for his image. It was right to have the popular teacher at his table. It wasn't necessarily because he liked Jesus or cared about him. And the woman, you might be wondering, who on earth allows a weird woman to walk into their house at mealtime and just do this stuff? Well, it wasn't uncommon for people to be allowed to come into the house where the teacher was and listen to the lesson. So as we go through today's lesson, keep that in mind that things weren't quite what they seem on the surface here. So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw the woman's behavior, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Pharisee. Again, it's all about image, but it's also not about Jesus. He doesn't care about Jesus. He, in fact, is not even looking at this woman trying to understand what is going on with her. He is looking at Jesus, questioning, how dare you let this gross woman touch you? You must not even be a teacher, because you wouldn't do that otherwise. And Jesus is smart. Jesus replied to him, knowing his thoughts, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. He asked Simon, so which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly. So, Simon, a judging Pharisee, is aware of what is happening. The whole room is leaning forward to listen to what Jesus says. The sinful woman 
has probably stopped with her uh, anointing of his feet to listen to what is going to be the point here. And Simon is forced to make the point. I suppose the one who loves him more is the one who is forgiven more. Jesus says, yes, you have judged correctly. And in fact, Simon, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. I, I don't want you to miss that, so I'm going to read that part again. She has been forgiven much. That is why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those with him at the table began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In case you didn't quite catch God's point for us on gratitude, I'm going to lay it out for you right here. He who is forgiven much will love much. It sounds really simple, but it's actually not simple, which is why we make it so hard. Jesus notes that this woman's many sins had been forgiven, and so her response to him was just overwhelming love. When I was preparing for this message, I actually pulled up this passage first in uh, my Bible app, which was open to the message translation, just by chance. It wasn't one I normally use. And I was looking at the wording in there, and it actually phrased it as, um, if forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. So gratitude and love were used interchangeably. And I thought, hmm, is that a, a conflict of translations? And it's not. If you get back into the original language, it is showing that um, this is gratitude that is lived out through love. So love is how the woman proves she has gratitude. Love is how she proves she is thankful. So the gratitude for forgiveness that God has given to her and gives to us should be overflowing love. And love in this context is not just the agape love that we know so well. Agape love being that self-sacrificing love we'd like to talk about. This actually stems from the same root, but the word used here is agapeo, ending in an O instead of an E. And it actually means action. It's actionable love based on high regard, high appreciation. So let me say that again. Agapeo is the action of love based on sincere appreciation and high regard. So this woman has come into the home. She has performed all of these outpourings of love for Jesus. And she is not focused on anyone else at the table. She doesn't care what they think of her. They don't care how they're judging her. All she knows is how Jesus has treated her. And her response is 
to end. We would be remiss to move through the story and not look at the other people sitting at the table with them. So I could only assume these would be other Pharisees because you certainly wouldn't be inviting sinful people to sit at the table the way Simon was judging. And even as the story ends, the Pharisees are noting not what a great lesson the teacher has pulled out, but who is he that even forgives sins? How dare he? This is the religious elite. These are the people who follow the rules. They have been set apart. And maybe even in our church, in the Nazarene church, we understand that language, set apart. They don't want to get messy. They don't want to touch the sinful. Because they're holy. And as holy, they understood the letter of the law, but not the heart of the law. So Simon here has been very prideful in what a great person he is. But he actually forgot one thing. He forgot, as a Pharisee, you're supposed to have some ritual purity. So when Jesus entered the home, he was supposed to have offered water so Jesus could wash his feet. Basic things before the meal. He hadn't done that. And the woman had come in and shown extravagance in how she anointed Jesus. She, a sinner, was pouring out love for him. So Simon, who prides himself on being holy, actually had failed. And she, the sinner, in her gratitude, demonstrated she actually had the holy life. So we say it this way. Gratitude, lived out in love, is the most important indicator of a holy life. Gratitude, lived out in love, is how you demonstrate that you are holy before God. Jesus actually addresses this in just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 10. He gives them a new commandment, actually two commandments. And these are commandments you have heard before. Let me just paraphrase. Love God and love others. And this isn't just something Jesus said in passing. Jesus meant this so much, and it was so significant that it's actually recorded in each of the four Gospels. And in each reference, they use that word we talked about, agapeo, the action. So, so this love that you're supposed to have as a result of what God has done for you is one that flows out not from emotion and just feeling good, but it flows from a response to him. It's action you do because you are grateful. That is love. And so nobody, nobody wants to be a modern-day Pharisee. And that's what Simon was. Then he's a Pharisee. We can get in that, that rut here and think that we're Pharisees too. Because loving God is easy. And the Pharisees did that very, very well. Loving people, not so much. And that's where the Pharisees got hung up. They were looking at their actions. They were looking at how they were before God, their piety. And in doing so, they forgot what it meant to live out love toward others. They were quick to judge others, but not quick to recognize that God wanted them to do more than love him, which is to love others as well. So loving God requires our obedience to him. Loving God is more than just our feelings. Love is a response. It's how we treat other people. 
And fortunately, we have the example of Christ to follow in how we do this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we actually get an example of what love looks like. And you, you might know this, but let me just call out some of these definitions. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous. It is not boasting or proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable or resentful. It keeps no record of wrong. This is the kind of love that God showed us. And he asks that we imitate him in showing it to others. So in case you wonder what on earth you possibly did that requires a response to God, it's really not so much of what you did, but what he did. So we all broke the law. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the mark with God. But he didn't tell us to get our acts together. He didn't tell us to clean up every area of our life. He said, I love you because of who I am. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And that is the kind of love he wants us to show to others. Love that he took for all of us. He took all of our sins and he threw them as far away as he possibly could. Where he's not going to go and retrieve them. He's not going to call them to mind when we screw up. He's not going to throw them in our faces. That's the accuser that does that. He doesn't hold it against us. He loves because he has forgiven us and he wants relationship with us. He gives us the freedom to be called his children. Sometimes we get so busy pointing at others that we don't look at ourselves and recognize how much we have to be forgiven. Not now, not in the future. It's an ongoing thing because we continue to mess up. But when we're so busy looking at other people and pointing around, we become Pharisees. I'm guilty of that. I'm sure many of us are guilty of that, of looking at other people and saying, you don't have it together. Why on earth should I possibly love you? But Jesus says that's not the way it is. You should have overflowing love out of a response to me. Our, our response isn't to other people. It is a response to God. We are responding in gratitude for what God has done. And if we can't be grateful for the biggest thing that has ever happened to us, how are we going to be grateful for little things? If we can't respond in love to the biggest thing, how are we going to respond in love when nothing is worth loving? But thanks be to God that he does not just save us and call his work done. He says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and I'm going to help you because I know that loving others is hard. So the Holy Spirit works in us to develop the fruit of the Spirit. And the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. God works in us to develop love. But it's not just God doing all the action. We also must take action. As such, we love people who irritate us. We love those who don't live up to our expectations. We live tho love those who are poor or sick or 
represent the worst of society. We even love the 1%, and we definitely love those from the other political party. We love those who hate us. We love those who wish to bring us harm. And again, it's not because of anything we've done. It's not what they've done, but it's about God and what he's done for all of us so that we should hold each other in high regard before him. God wants us to love each other not based on anyone else's qualifications, but as a response to God, our gratitude for God. It is loving because we have been forgiven much. We have been. The worship team can come, up, come on up. So gratitude doesn't wait until we feel like it. It doesn't wait until something spurs us on to gratitude. We should be grateful as a response in everyday life because of what God has done for us. It should be an outflowing of love in every part, every interaction, so that people know we are children of God because of the love that comes out of us. That's the kind of gratitude he wants. It's inherent in who we are, not because it's a feeling that we may or may not have at a moment in time. So how we live this out today, it starts today. We're going to do three things. One, no matter where you are, it doesn't matter if you're in the pew, it doesn't matter if you're joining this online or watching this a week from today. I want you, during our prayer, to first give thanks to God, because sometimes we forget to do that. Give him thanks for what he has done for us. Second, we've got to repent. We have to repent of those times that we have looked at other people and not loved them where we'd rather focus on God and not have to look around us at anyone else. That's not right. Obedience is loving others as well. And then third, as we move into November, I want you to intentionally, every single day, find someone who you don't think is lovable to love and show the love of God to as a response to him. So join me in praying this morning. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that your name is above every name and that you have made the ultimate sacrifice for us, giving us forgiveness when we deserved death. The wages of sin is death. But you have paid that price, God, and we can live in you. Help us to be grateful and thankful. Help us to respond in love. God, we repent of any time that we haven't done that and we have acted with ingratitude and indifference and treated people poorly. God, give us a heart of love that only you can instill in us and help us to act on it. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your great love. Yours is the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine with me for just one second what this would look like if every single Christian here and in the world lived out their gratitude in such a way that it was love. We don't have that right now. We can be this. It starts with you, one person at a time, a world 
filled with love as a response to God. Thanks be to God. <laughs>